After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! You know, Josh, there was a bit of a fuss made this past week about what I I believe was a significant accomplishment from Patrick Marlowe, the San Jose Sharks, for I believe the third time now, playing in 1,768 games more than anyone else. But you know what? What's the big deal? Kerry Fraser refereed 1,904 games, and none of them were at his home rink. <laughs> yeah, none none in front of the adoring fans. None coming out to celebrations and cheers and applause. Quite the contrary on what Fraser was typically welcomed to. But yeah, keep at it, Marlo. A little, little more time in there. You can pick up a few more games and start to catch up to some of the stripes. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It's brought to you by Manscaped, and there are special savings for you with our partnership with Manscaped. Go to the website, manscaped.com, use our special code REFS, R-E-F-S, and your order will be discounted 20%, and you will also get free shipping. Now, we have been telling you about many wonderful products available for manscaped.com for weeks now. Have you had the time to check some of them out? You really should. It is in everyone's best interest. Just as perhaps you're experiencing now with your spring lawn maintenance, when you take the lawnmower out of the garage to begin to glide across the landscape, it is a satisfying feeling. Well, you can carry that feeling through as well. Carry that trim right to the edge of the garden with confidence. The blades are super sharp, but also super safe. And I know I'm mentioning this, but the safety light is so helpful. And Josh, I mean, who wants to nick the eggplant emoji? I mean, that's just trouble, isn't it? <laughs> yes, you you definitely need to, when you're checking your garden and taking care of things, you definitely don't want to damage the produce. And I think it's important that you've, you've got the right tools for the job and you're, you're doing the right thing there. And it's funny that you make the, the garden reference because I think, too, you want to take care of your garden with the, the right fertilizer, the right uh, nutrients, the right supplements there. And Manscaped lets you do that too with the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver, which not only let you you know groom the area, but also let you condition, moisturize, hydrate, and, and keep things comfortable and uh, you know protect your eggplant. Exactly. And safety first is what we always say. Go to the website, manscaped.com. Use the code REFS. You get 20% off your order and free shipping. He's Josh. I'm Todd. Please make sure you're following us on our social media channels. For Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs, same as the website, scoutingtherefs.com. On Twitter and on Instagram, for me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports. On Twitter and Instagram, we accept emails as well. If you have questions or comments, hit us up the old-fashioned way. Hey, ref at scoutingtherefs.com. On this week's episode, hey, Wilson, it's been a while. Zach Hyman is the greatest Toronto Maple Leaf ever. How dare you hit him knee on knee? And who called the penalty on Garnet Hathaway for hitting Jared Tenority? Uh, sounds pretty intriguing to me, wouldn't you say, Josh? Oh, of course. It had to be the ref who called the penalty, right? No? Sure. Okay. We'll... We'll, we'll go with that. We'll get into that as well. Oh, before we go too far, there was an important note in Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts blog this week. Number four discusses injuries, but not injuries to players, 
they have been a factor, but they have been injuries to officials as well. He notes that three linesmen retired at the end of last season, Scott Driscoll, Darren Gibbs, Brian Murphy. They were not replaced. Others have also suffered injuries. Derek Amell, Greg Dvorsky, Brian Mock, and Steve Miller. They have been out for most of the year. The league is also down a couple of referees. Tim Peel, of course, remains suspended, and Chris Rooney is injured. So this has been a difficult season for referees and linesmen on the ice as well, also having to battle through. It's been reported to be very challenging for players because of the quirky schedule we have to endure, no less so for the officials. Absolutely, and certainly when you've got players in protocol, you do have officials that are in protocol from time to time, depending on who they were exposed to over the course of the game or potentially even in the course of their travels as they're moving from rink to rink. Because in three of the divisions, we do have the officials traveling all around. And in the north, we have them confined to that one division. But that also increases some complexity there because we have border issues and quarantines. So even uh, the handful of times or less than a handful, we had a few when officials needed to move to shift across the border there. And of course, they've got to take a break, have a quarantine before they can jump in and work games on the other side. So it has been very tricky. And we've seen the league leveraging the AHL, NHL referee population and not only having them referee games, but having them man the lines. So if you see a number 85 out there, that's the spare linesman's jersey. And that typically means that we've got an AHL, NHL ref manning the lines for that night, which has happened quite frequently this season, purely out of necessity. Well, big shout out to all the guys in Stripes who have done terrific work this year to be flexible, to be nimble and help this season get moved along through. Let's cross our fingers and toes and hope that we can continue on in a professional fashion and move forward. Okay, let's get into some of the other stuff. The Bruins and Caps had themselves a very intense game last weekend. And hey, it's our old friend Tom Wilson. He came to play. He is perhaps the most polarizing player in the National Hockey League. And Well, anything he does gets people's attention. During the game, Wilson delivered a hit to Bruins forward Sean Corrali, and needless to say, after Wilson was suspended for clobbering Bruins defenseman Brandon Carlo earlier this year, the hit received plenty of scrutiny on social media. Corrali was attempting to make a play with the puck. He began to fall to the ice at that moment, and that's when Wilson delivered his hit. Corrali was shaken up. It appeared as if Tom Wilson's elbow may have hit Sean Corrali in the head. Now, Bruins fans, of course, get furious. Others think it's just a hockey play, but of course, it's Tom Wilson, so we're talking about it. I, I watched it a bunch of times. I think it was unfortunate that Corrali was hit in this manner, but I think that no penalty is a right call. I agree, Todd, that that is the right call on this play. It was unfortunate, but you see Corrali go down. You see his body lowering and and that's really what put him right into the line of fire on on Wilson's elbow as Wilson was coming in to deliver the hit. It all happened so quickly that it's hard to have Wilson do anything else in that case. He didn't exactly blow him up on the hit. He was skating in to get closer. He was bracing for impact on the hit. And as that happened, Corrali's body position changed and, and just put him right in line of fire for the elbow. So it was an unfortunate play, not one that I would call a dirty hit, not one that Wilson was aiming to do or doing anything specific to deliver a hit up high. It was purely bad timing with how Corrali went down just as Wilson was coming in to deliver what would have been a legal body check. 
Yes, I don't believe that you can anticipate that Sean Corrales is going to fall at that precise moment that you're about to impact with that player. Now, I, d- I did see some social media comments suggesting Wilson should perhaps pick and choose some of these hits better, don't deliver some of these hits and get a break from the refs now and again. Now, in my opinion, this is incredibly narrow-minded and naive as a suggestion because the minute st- Tom Wilson stops playing the way Tom Wilson plays, his career is over and he's never going to see the ice again. That's his game, right? I mean, he's he's not a high-speed scorer. He's not a, a, a brilliant passer. He does what he does. He fills a role for Washington and he's a wrecking ball out there. I would prefer him stay on the legal line of things. And he did on this play. So I think it's it's unfortunate. I mean, he he has an earned reputation for the hits he's delivered. He should be choosing wisely, but this is not one of those cases where he chose poorly. And I, I hate to string the guy up for something like that. Uh, I'm glad to come down on him hard when he's violating the rules or when he's doing things that go over the line. But this was not one of those instances. This is the Scouting the Rest podcast. It's brought to you by Manscaped, and there are special savings for you with Manscaped. Go to the website, manscaped.com. Use the code REFS. On your order, you receive 20% off and free shipping. There is another chapter to this story in the Bruins and Caps games. As you'd expect, uh, the teams gathered, and Jared Tenorti took a roughing penalty after confronting Wilson about the hit, and the incident raised the temperature. Not five minutes later, Garnet Hathaway delivers a very heavy hit on Jared Tenorti from behind that sent him hard into the corner boards, face first. Tenorti lay on the ice as referee Gislaine Hébert, who watched the hit from the hash marks of the face-off circle and did not call a penalty. He checked on the status of Tenorti, waited for the Bruins to get possession of the puck before blowing the play dead. In the neutral zone, referee Trevor Hansen did not have his arm in the air to call a penalty either. The game went to commercial break, and when the feed returned, Hathaway was being issued a major and a game misconduct. Now, Josh, I have to ask... How does a penalty get called when neither referee indicates one is forthcoming? It's an interesting question, Todd, and, and one that I think has a simpler answer than, than it initially appears. I watched okay. the replay. I saw neither referee's arm go up, and then we come back with a penalty. So how does this happen? You know, certainly play was stopped because of the injury. But when play was stopped, there were two other guys on the ice who could have weighed in and could have called that major penalty. Hansen and Bear were the referees, but Matt McPherson was working the lines, as was Bo Halkidis, who, as a linesman that night, is also an AHL-NHL referee, so he's got a little bit more experience in watching for some of the penalties or infractions. With those two guys manning the lines, they also have the ability to report penalties to the officials during a stoppage in play, and that would include, under Rule 32-4, reporting a major penalty, a match penalty, a game misconduct, those types of things. So... The only way the refs can review this is if the penalty was called. And the only way that penalty appeared to have been called was if the linesman reported it to the referees. So while we didn't get any clarification from the league, what it looks like on this play is that despite Hebert standing there and and not calling the penalty and Hansen's arm not going up, I'd have to imagine it was one of the linesmen who looked at it and said, hey, from the angle I had, that looked like a penalty. Once they did that and huddled and had that discussion during the stoppage in play, then the two referees can go back and review it and say, you know what, we're calling this a major on the ice. Now we're going to go look and confirm that call, which they did. The process to me, as obtuse and unclear as it may have been at the time, was likely that the penalty was reported by the linesman, and that's what triggered the ability to review the play. 
Gotcha. And this is a fairly common occurrence, I would say, in the sense that referees and linesmen have conversations. They were in a TV timeout or in a commercial break timeout. So that's normally when three of the four will come together and discuss the game, how it's going on while they while they have a moment, perhaps getting a drink. One of the linesmen always stands between the benches during the commercial breaks. But there is, there is an opportunity for the referees and one linesman to have a conversation during the timeout. Certainly. And, and if one of them happen to see something on the play that's that's an immediate discussion which it's a shame that we don't have video of what happened as they went to commercial there to see if the officials did come together to discuss it right away which i would imagine was the case but yeah certainly taking advantage of that opportunity and this is without the benefit of replay this is purely a discussion with the officials on the ice to change that call on the ice during the stoppage and then once they've agreed on that call on ice that's what gives them the ability to take a second look I thank you for clearing that up because without an arm in the air, it's hard to see how a penalty often gets <laughs> called. Okay, another another game, another situation. And this one, again, I'm a little bit confused by. Zach Hyman is a pending unrestricted free agent with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he is having himself a very good year. He fits in well on a line he plays. He scored over 20 goals in each of the last two years. He has become the darling of the fans and media in Toronto who have all been gnashing their teeth about how the Leafs must sign him or it will be the worst thing to happen since, well, Tuesday. Anyhow, <laughs> Sunday Sunday night in a game versus the Vancouver Canucks, Alex Edler of the Canucks caught Hyman with a knee-on-knee knee hit in the neutral zone. Easy call to make. The refs look at it, review, confirm. It's five and a game for kneeing. This is early in the game as well. The next day, it is announced that Alex Edler is going to have a hearing with the Department of Player Safety. The result is a two-game suspension. I'm a little surprised that this escalated to even a hearing, quite frankly, after getting a five-minute major and a game misconduct. I thought that was sufficient punishment. I agree. We've seen rarely suspensions for kneeing, and it may be that it happens infrequently, but something that we don't certainly see very often. If so, one or two games, but you have to go back a handful of years to even find any of those incidents. One thing I want to note, though, Todd, is that the NHL officials on the ice and player safety operate entirely independently. So... When player safety is looking at the hit and deciding whether or not to suspend the player to levy additional discipline, they're not looking at what the call on the ice was. They're not looking at when the hit happened during the game, whether it was early or whether it was late. So by player safety standards, if this happened in the first minute of the game or the last minute of the game, they would still be issuing that two-game suspension. So hmm. I want to look at those both independently there. As they are decided in a vacuum, there's really no waiting out the call on the ice when they're deciding on the suspension length. Certainly, it's a factor that they can consider, but it's not part of their calculation in saying, hey, it was early in the game, he was tossed, let's only give him one game, or it was late in the game, so we're going to give him two to earn it back. It doesn't work that way. So once you remove that and look at it in that lens, you really see it's it's a two-game suspension for kneeing. I think we're looking at at the intent, and, and kneeing, of course, is a very dangerous play. You have, have the potential for season or even career-ending injuries, but something we don't see as a suspendable offense quite that often anymore. Well, let me tell you how rare it is, because I did a little search and tried to find suspensions for kneeing, and they are very rare. James Neal got five games in 2013 for a knee to the head of Brad Marchand. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. Remember at the time, Matt Cook got seven games for kneeing Tyson Berry in 2014. Matt Cook was with the Wild at that time. He got seven games, but it was his sixth career suspension 
In 2009, Alex Ovechkin got two games for kneeing Tim Gleason of the Carolina Hurricanes. But that's it. That's all I could find in the last 20 years. There may have been a few others out there, but I know really uh, far and wide, not not too often. So I don't know if it's something that we've seen and we'd have to go back to see if we had any tripping suspensions that might have been a knee that was considered a trip, which is possible. If it was a knee that was causing interference or if players have really toned down the kneeing, which is certainly uh, the best option there is that they're kneeing each other a little less frequently. Yeah, I guess that is a good thing to take care of. Okay, uh, Tampa, Carolina have a couple of games this week. Uh, there was a terrific game on Monday night. And in the third period, Alex Kalorin stepped up and leveled Martin Nakash in the neutral zone with a huge full body hit. Full body check, as I said, arms down. His skates were on the ice. It was 100% legal. Now, of course, when this happens, teammates feel obliged to show support for their mate. And in this case, Kane's defenseman, Jake Gardner, got in the face of Killorn and challenged him. It was definitely a mistake on Jake Gardner's part because he was handled without too much fuss by Killorn on the play. Interesting that the call illustrates a little referee discretion because Gardner did not get two, five, and ten, but rather got two for roughing and both got five minutes for fighting. I thought that was a curious call. I did as well. And I, I think... When we have some policing on the ice, like we did by Gardner, and, and good for him for sticking up for his teammate, but there's no way Killorn's looking for a fight there. He's delivering a hit, he's he's moving on, and it was a clean hit, like you mentioned. So when you've got a guy who's going after someone, like Gardner did, I don't care if he gets a beat down. The correct call to me is to hit him with the two minutes for instigator, which is also going to give him a 10-minute misconduct, because he was going after Killorn for what was a clean hit. And, and whether it's a clean or a dirty hit, I, I, I think we have to just look at... Hey, you're, you're challenging a guy after a hit. You want to stick up, but you're still instigating it. And the criteria for an instigator under 4611, distance traveled, gloves off first, first punch thrown, menacing attitude, one of my favorites. I love that phrase. <laughs> Verbal instigation or threats, or retaliation to a previous incident in the game or season, which certainly this was immediate retaliation for the hit that just took place. By the book, I don't, I don't see how you don't give an instigator penalty. I think this is exactly the rule that you want to use to avoid... These types of things where somebody goes after another player for what was effectively a clean hit. Perhaps this is also what causes much of the disdain for the instigator rule is inconsistent enforcement and lack of understanding, quite frankly, and how the penalty should be applied mostly by fans. Because when we see good, hard, cleans delivered, it, it still is almost always followed by a teammate saying, hey, you can't do that to my teammate and challenging them and it, there's results in a stoppage and there's roughing or whatever. It, it frustrates me to no end to watch players challenge someone after a clean hit. You know what? The, the rule used to be you take a number and hopefully you get a chance to inflict a good, hard, clean hit either later in the game or the next time you meet. It didn't result in roughing or fighting penalties. That's it. That's the way to do it. And I think you can do it that way and avenge the hit legally at later points in the game or at a key point in the game. But when you're dropping the gloves and going after a guy for delivering a legal hit, what you're effectively doing is, is bringing the game to a halt. And I know fans lament the idea of, oh, you know, the rule changes and the officials are taking hitting out of the game or the game's getting soft and there's not hitting like there used to be. Well, when there is a good clean body check like this one, everything stops. 
play should continue. The game should go on. There should be more hits like that. We shouldn't have the game coming to a screeching halt because you've got to go after a guy after a clean body check. And I, I think if you want hitting, if you want to embrace clean legal body checks, you need to put the rules in place to allow players to do that and allow the game to move on from those hits. Seems like a good idea to me. In one other situation I want to get into a little bit, Montreal Canadiens goaltender Carey Price suffered a concussion Monday night. He's in concussion protocol after the game with the Edmonton Oilers. In the first period, Oilers forward Alex Chason cruised by the front of the net to screen Price as the puck was fired toward the goal by Connor McDavid. Puck went in. The Habs challenged. It was ruled that Chason did have incidental contact with Price. The goal was overturned. Now, Price stayed in the game. However, he left after the first period and is now gone at least a week in concussion protocol. I'm just wondering, there was no penalty on the play, but do we need to look at situations like this where there's contact to see if there are additional ways that we can better officiate this kind of play and help protect goaltenders and players? Well, I think you've run into a, a pretty tricky challenge there, Todd, where you're looking at an injury and trying to penalize what caused it. And from an officiating standpoint, you're looking at the action and you want to penalize the act that took it, not necessarily the outcome. So if you've got a dirty hit or you've got an elbow up high, that's a penalty. It deserves to be a penalty. In some cases, that deserves to be a suspension. And only after you make that assessment do you really want to consider whether an injury factored into it. I know with player safety, they're looking at was the hit a suspendable offense? What rule did it break? And only after they make that determination do they say, well, what was the impact? Was there an injury on the play? From an officiating standpoint, you also don't want to be calling it backwards and saying, oh, that guy was injured. I better call something. You know, everybody talked about game management and you don't want to have to find a call because a guy was injured. And it, it, much like in this situation, there can be a legal play, there can be a clean hit that results in an injury. And it's unfortunate for everybody involved, but it's not necessarily a penalty. And and I think that's what I'm looking at in this situation where it was sufficient contact to get the goal waved off, but it wasn't deserving of anything more than that. And, and quite frankly, I, I think Price took a shot up high from Dreisaitl later in the game, which for all we know, that could have caused the concussion. Ah. But I, I look at the same type of concept applied to a few hits that we also had this week with uh, the Islanders Matt Martin on Jacob Trouba of the Rangers or uh, Romanov on on Kyra of the Edmonton Oilers where you had two guys receiving clean body checks but suffering what appeared to be head injury or concussion on the play and both Trouba and, and Kyra had to be helped off the ice but the hits that caused those potential injuries were clean hits and I don't want to see anybody injured I know the league doesn't want to see anybody injured but you can't legislate out a clean hit just because it caused an injury. No, you're, you're absolutely right, and, and that's, a, that's a great point. And maybe the best way to look at it is if you turn it around and if, if there were only clean hits that resulted in injury, if there was never a, an illegal hit made, everyone would be understanding enough that sometimes players get hurt. And, and that is what happens, unfortunately, that it, it is a very physical, very difficult game with hard boards and glass around it on some occasions where hits are inflicted. And there are inevitably going to be some players that get injured as the result of those hits. Right. And, and I think certainly you want the officials watching for those situations and you want them out there to protect the players. But just because there's an injury doesn't mean there's a penalty. And just because there's a penalty doesn't mean it results in injury. So looking for those illegal hits, looking for infractions, looking for the dangerous plays, I think is where we need the officials and we need player safety to focus. Yeah, there's you brought up some some old hits with kneeing. A knee to the head is never going to be a legal play and it's never going to be no. something we want in the game. An elbow up high, same idea. 
if the guy's injured or not on the play, that elbow up high should result in a penalty and possibly a suspension. And I think that's the approach the league has, has tried to go for. And I think that's the right one is penalize the act and not necessarily the outcome. That's good clarification. That's good information. And Josh, I like how we've gotten through this whole thing without a menacing attitude. <laughs> the Scouting the Refs podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS. That's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.